0: Hey Forge family, God bless you. Before we start into episode number six of the Jacob story, let's do a little review of last time. If you recall, Jacob has arrived on his 400-mile journey from Beersheba and Canaan to Haran, up in northern Syria, kind of tucked up close to the modern-day Turkish border. When he arrives, um, he is so overwhelmed with relief uh, perhaps for his safety for being delivered into the arms of the family there in Haran that he weeps he cries out loudly and he weeps he'd spent 400 miles looking over his shoulder wondering if Esau was going to hunt him down and get him with an arrow on arrival in Haran God's providence was broadly seen around Jacob, and yet he's oblivious to it. There's there's no prayer that's offered. There's no praise that's lifted up. Um, Jacob is beginning to receive what he sowed. He, He got himself out of Beersheba because of deceit and lies. He got the birthright, he got the blessing, but he got it in a twisted way. And now being sent away to supposedly get a wife from this compound of the family up in Haran, he is, is now in the household of his uncle Laban, who is a past master at deceit. And Laban is drawing him into the web of labor contracts. And if you recall, we ended last week uh, by calling on all of us as forgies to look and to listen for God's provision and God's protection and and calling all of us to be thankful and to worship. So we begin today with prayer. Lord, we ask you now as we look at this uh, series of births uh, to the wives of Jacob, Lord, would you give us insight? Would you give us wisdom? This is not just a genealogical layout and how we got the 12 tribes of Israel. Lord, this is how you're working in this one family. Father, all of us grew up in dysfunctional families in some way. This one tops them all in some senses. But Lord, um, we ask for wisdom as we as we look at it and, and give us lessons of the heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So beginning in verse 31 of chapter 29, uh, Jacob has worked seven years to pay off the bride price to be able to marry Rachel, but he has been deceived, and Laban slips Leah, the firstborn older daughter, who is not loved, uh, slips her into Jacob's bed and then says, oh, just go ahead, honor her as your first wife, You know, keep the, the week's worth of f- festival and feast, and then I'll give you Rachel as a second wife. Uh, if you work for me for another seven years, so now Jacob has a second seven-year labor contract to work with the flocks and herds, the camels, the oxen, the cattle uh, of of Laban. And in verse twenty-nine, it says, in uh, chapter twenty-nine, verse thirty-one, it says, God saw that Leah was literally hated. Jacob couldn't stand her he loved Rachel he wanted Rachel you see his plan was I'm gonna I'm gonna get Rachel for my wife and I'm gonna build a family around Rachel and I'm gonna build a legacy because Rachel's gonna have children and then all his plans here start to unravel completely because God sees that Leah was hated and he opens her womb and the text continues It says Rachel was barren, so she's she falls in line just like Sarah, just like Rebecca, where, you know, the the children that God gives are His gift in His time. Leah begins to conceive, and quickly she gives birth. Quickly, perhaps a child a year, she gives birth to Reuben, and his name means see a son. You know, and and the way to read that is, The Lord has seen my misery, now my husband will love me. Uh, Leah is crying out, You know, and there's this bitterness that's mixed with this forlorn hope. A man named Sarna, a Jewish guy who writes in the Torah commentary, has some great insight into the, some of this wordplay, back and forth, and how these names of the sons of Leah and Rachel are Are fabricated. The second son is named Simeon. And it's because the Lord heard that Leah was hated. You know, she you know the 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 word Shema, you know, to hear is, is the root of Simeon. And so again, Leah is attributing the fact that the Lord has heard my plight. He has heard and he has seen. And and she, he's given me another son. So Reuben, and now Simeon, and then thirdly, Levi is born. Now, this time, my husband will be attached to me. You see, there's that, that longing to be included, to be loved, to be honored as the first wife, which she was first married, but she certainly wasn't wife number one in the heart of, of Jacob. And then lastly, here in this cycle, it says Judah was born. finally, finally. Leah begins to get the fact that the Lord is the one who is opening her womb and he is providing her with great gifts and his favor. And so finally she responds in praise and she names her son, Judah. I will praise the Lord. If you remember Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift or a legacy, from the Lord. And here again, it is the Lord who's who's compensating Leah. She's hated by Jacob, and yet she's the one who conceives over and over again. In chapter 30, verse 1, Rachel gets jealous enough of this my sister has had four children bang 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 you know just that she's she's this baby maker and in in her extreme grief she cries out and says to her husband jacob give me children or i die there's such shame in her life that she just cannot conceive and and lord knows jacob's been trying Jacob's been doing his part, and and he rises up, and his response is hot. And he says, I'm not God. Well, that's a true statement. (laughs) He's not God. But second, he takes no spiritual leadership in this relationship with Rachel. Previously, Abraham had prayed and pled with God for his wife, Sarah, to bear a son. Isaac had prayed for Rebekah to bear a son. Jacob doesn't do that. He just lets it ride. And he turns on his wife and he says, I'm not God. You know, it's God who has held the fruit of the womb from you. And he points his finger at his wife instead of saying, it's really from us. So even even with his beloved wife, Rachel, there's this dysfunction between the two of them. So Rachel's answer is, to supply Jacob with a subordinate wife, if you will, she takes her handmaiden Bilha, and gives her to Jacob, much as uh, Sarah took Hagar and said, "I can bear children through Hera through Hagar and I, and I can uh, still have children uh, in my name and so Rachel does the same thing: she d- delivers into the arms of Jacob. Her handmaid as a subordinate wife. And Bilhah quickly conceives and gives birth to Dan, whose name is God has vindicated me. Another way to say that is God has heard my voice. You know, this is not just God's blessing on me that's being poured out to Rachel, it's also justice. I'm getting some justice. I'm finally getting my, you know, getting back at my sister Leah in this struggle. And then Bilhah conceives again and gives birth to Naphtali, which means struggles with God. Actually, it's better translated in the, in the way it says, um, in the struggling with God, paren, I have struggled with my sister, close paren. You know, all this, this, uh, this shift okay, has taken place inside of Leah, and she finally ends up worshiping God. Giving thanks to God when Judas born, but uh, Rachel is still just hard as nails, and so finally when Naphtali is born, she recognizes this is a struggle that I'm having with God, and it it bears also on the struggle I'm having with my sister. Now at the same time, uh, realize there are there are uh, there's three people now that are sharing the bed of Jacob. You've got Leah and Rachel, and Bilhah. But the text says that Leah stopped bearing. And Rachel jumps in to take advantage of this gap in in uh, the capacity of her sister to bear children, and she delivers Bilhah into the bed, if you will, of Jacob. Leah responds and gives her handmaiden, Zilpah, to Jacob as a wife to continue bearing children. So all of a sudden, Jacob has four wives. And it's possible that all four of them may have been pregnant at the same time. You know, it's a a kind of a known commodity that when women live in community, their menstrual cycles begin to fall into a rhythm together. And so it's not inconceivable that he could have pregnant wives, um, multiple pregnant wives at the same time. Uh, we'll look next week at how all these children stacked up and how quickly they came. But now he, his fourth wife, Zilpah, gets pregnant and uh, gives, it, gives birth to a child named Gad and in uh which means good luck, good fortune, oh, this is fabulous, because in a sense, um, God has opened the womb again of Leah, and say, uh, if you and, and, excuse me, he's going to do that, but he initially he does it through Gad and then through the birth of Asher, who is the son of Jacob and Zilpah. Asher means happy am I, women are going to rejoice when they hear this. They're going to know how happy I am. And then we hit one of these really weird uh, Old Testament passages. So get ready to zoom out. All right. Uh, in the middle of the wheat harvest, again, I, we talked about microagriculture. Micro Here you have uh, a family compound. And so when the when the weather is right and the rain is right, they will sow seed, you know, around the areas where the flocks don't, um, pasture so they don't lose their grain crop. And it says in the middle of the, f- of the wheat harvest, Reuben was in the field and he finds mandrake plants. Now mandrake is, um, it was used as a medicinal, it was a purgative, it was a nemetic. You know, uh, it, would, it would turn you inside out if it was used the wrong way. Um, it had a narcotic capacity as well. But it was spoken of in the ancient Near East as an aphrodisiac. It had a heady, strong fragrance, and it's even referred to in the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 13, that in this, this poem, this, this amazing story of marital love and being passionately drawn to your wife, the mandrake root is hanging outside the door of, of, their, of, their, of their bower, you know, where, where they have their, their trysts. The Hebrew word is love fruits. That's how it's it translates, mandrakes. Okay, well, the mandrake um, was demanded because of its aphrod- you know, was in, in, in demand because of its aphrodisiac capacity in the ancient Near East. And so here comes Leah with an armload of this stuff she'd gotten from her son Reuben, and Rachel says in, in verse 14 of chapter 30: Give me some of your mandrakes. And Leah's a little snotty. Leah comes back hard. She says, is it a a small matter for you to take my husband? So apparently, Rachel, as as the lead wife, had, had been restricting Jacob's access to Leah. Rachel's keeping Jacob away from her. And, and Leah doesn't like it. She says, you're going to take my mandrakes and my husband? So Rachel says, therefore, you may lie with him tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. And so she gets the, she gets the aphrodisiacs, if you will, and she gives up the, the right to the bed. And so as Jacob comes in from the field after working with the flocks and herds, Leah goes out and meets him and says, I have hired you. Man, is that dysfunctional? Okay, we've we've gone from from uh, marriage to a uh, to a contract, if you will, sex for hire contract in which Jacob is really just nothing more than a stud. And I realize that's gutter, and I realize that's harsh, but that's how deeply dysfunctional this family had had fallen to. Now, fascinatingly. <clears throat> Rachel gives up the one thing she had, which was control over Jacob's nighttime, which bed Jacob was going to be in at night. She gives it up. And, and sure enough, Leah gets pregnant again. And uh, she gives birth to Issachar, which says, He rewards, the Lord rewards. Leah affirms God's action. And then she gives birth to Zebulun. Her womb is opened again. You know, Zebulun means God has endowed me with a good dowry. Now my husband will honor me. And then lastly, she gives birth to Dinah, a daughter. So she has seven natural children. More, more children, if you will, than all other three wives combined. But remember I mentioned what happened here to to Rachel. Rachel lets go of the management over Jacob's bed. And the Lord remembers Rachel and opens her womb. Verse 22, it says, The shame of barrenness has been overcome. You know, she went years as a barren woman. And she gives birth to Joseph. Joseph. Which means, may the Lord add to me another son. So there's an amazing thing that's happened here. Twelve children have been born to the wives of Jacob. When those generations started, remember remember, you're just you're just three generations away from serving idols, and so there's still some dreck that's involved in this family that they're still working it out they're 400 plus years away from the giving of the law of moses that lays down here's how you relate to me here is how you relate to each other here's what worship looks like here's how you honor marriage here's how you honor children etc children here's how you honor your parents that was all 400 years away and, but we're working through this thing of, of <clears throat> the blessings that were, that were promised to Abraham. Remember? You will, your descendants will be as the dust of the earth and as the stars of the sky. Isaac, the dust of the earth. Jacob, your descendants will be like the stars over your head. You've got your head on this rock. You're having a dream. But your descendants will be as the stars. So the first generation Abraham and Sarah they have one son that's that carries the seed obviously Ishmael had 12 sons and he he launches into a whole creating nations okay that look to Abraham as their source and their father but they're not worshiping God the second generation Isaac and Rebekah have twins okay of which one secures the blessing. One secures the birthright. Okay, but now, now, this man has 12 sons. And from those 12 sons will come the 12 tribes of Israel. The both of those sisters that were initially married to Jacob, Leah and to Rachel, both of them finally recognize God's hand in conceptions. Now, it got all tangled up with shameful competition and rivalry and that's going to get played out in tribalism and in really wounding, murderous behavior later on in the history of the nation of Israel and then the split kingdom of Judah and Israel. But from Leah will descend kingly lines. King David descended from Leah from Rachel comes King Saul and Jeroboam you know of from Leah came someone who killed lions that was David from Rachel comes someone who kills lion killed a lion that was Samson from Leah comes conquerors Moses over overwhelmed Israel uh, excuse me overwhelmed Egypt and led the people of Israel out in, out into the lands. And, and King David over, was a conqueror. He conquered nations around him. From Rachel comes Joshua, who led the people of Israel in conquering the, the Canaanite lands and, and beyond that to establish a homeland. And King Saul was descended from Rachel, and he conquered nations. Interestingly enough, you know, one of the the Hebrew, uh, the Jewish uh, commentaries, it talks about the fact that to the descendants of Leah were given two nights of judgment. One was the judgment on Pharaoh and the loss. You know, the, it was the the night of the passing of the angel of the Lord, the angel of death, and then uh, at the time of Hezekiah. Um, There's the night in which Sennacherib comes and lays siege to Jerusalem and uh, the angel of the Lord passes over that that Assyrian army and the 180,000 wake up dead in the morning. From the descendants of Rachel come two knights. Gideon wages warfare against the Midianites. In his, with his 300 men who surround the the Midianite camp and and strike them into terror by blowing the trumpet and, and taking the pitcher off of the, the torches and, and they fall into chaos and destroy themselves. And then the second night was when King Ahasuerus could not sleep and he called for the records to be read to him and in it was the, the statement that Mordecai had discovered a plot and kept the king safe. And so, you know, these, this flow through Hebrew scripture, there's the sense that the Lord is at work in these lines that descend from Leah and descend from Rachel in very similar ways. From the hated, unloved Leah, the seed passes to Judah and from Judah to David and from David to Jesus. From the loved but barren Rachel is born Joseph. And Joseph will be revealed shortly as an ultimate redeemer of the family, yeah, ultimately in the natural. You know, He provides a way of rescuing the family in the midst of a famine season. Now, how are we supposed to respond to such huge dysfunction you know, when we read this in the scriptures? I mean, some of it you just kind of go, oh, yeah, don't want to read about this. Well, part of it is we got, we all grew up in dysfunctional families, and some of that really touches home. So get ready, zoom out from the scripture because here is God at work keeping his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and he's going to set in place some borders and some and some benchmarks for what marriage is supposed to be, because in Leviticus eighteen he says, "Don't marry." Two living sisters to the same man. Enough of this. We're never again going to have a Rachel Leah deal going on in, in godly families. He puts a stop to it. Hold on, people. Just hold on. See, God is at work here. This is a construction zone. 400 years before the giving of the law, what I ask you to do is just fly over this, get the lessons. Yes, there's bitter contention. Yes, there's rivalry. It's going to get worse. Okay? Now, lately, I've been ministering in prayer lines to people who come forward to to ask God for miracles and healing. And um, I have been consistently approached by people who are having difficulty conceiving. Couples, men, women. uh, They've come and they've said, oh, we're, we're in the middle of... In vitro fertilization attempts, that's hugely expensive, and and it wasn't working. It wasn't working. Another woman came. She said, I've been married 13 years. I can't conceive. You know, tears flowing, mascara running, you know, crying out to God saying, please remember me. Not, and it called to my mind early in, in my marriage to Janice uh, we decided to, you know, a couple of years into our marriage, we decided to start family, start to pray, ask God for for babies. And months and months and months and months passed. We were living with a calendar. We were living with a thermometer. We we had no baby, and and there were some emotional struggles in that. It was a hard physical time as well. And and it it dawned on us that Jan's mother took seven years to conceive and Jan's aunt on her dad's side was 13 years to conceive a child and so you know, we were going oh god not seven not 13 please hear our hear our cry and he heard us and we were able to have a child named Ben okay but my heart goes out to those of you and to those who are in the hearing of this podcast who are waiting for God to open the womb. Uh, Secondly, uh, as we kind of think this through here, do you remember being chosen last for sports teams, for being left behind by playmates who just ran off and left you laughing at you? Uh, Do you remember... uh, being blocked in your pursuit of a relationship or in pursuit of goals. And some of that stuff may have poured over into adult life. They they may be present with you now. Uh, They may be there so that you could call up that memory or maybe you're living with it. Okay, what are you longing for? What do you cry out to heaven to provide? What seems broken and bitter so this is an invitation. Come, enter again, for some of us, maybe for the first time. Come, come, enter on the journey of seeing God take away shame and lack and hurt and emptiness, barrenness, where things aren't working. So if there's a catch in your spirit over past hurts... Today is the day to seek the Lord, to turn away from those memories or habits, and to be healed in Jesus' name. All right, Forge family. I love you. We'll see you soon. God bless.